Coming up today on the Lead to Succeed podcast. And I think the best leaders are thinking, hey, more than ever before, I need to remember that I am a leader of people, not just a manager of tasks. And I need to be thinking every day, not just what's on my to-do list, but how are my people feeling? How engaged are my people? And um, Naftali, I think that, I mean, for the next 10 years, everybody's go-to interview question, whether you're going for a new job or a promotion, it's going to be, how did you lead in 2020? How did you keep your team engaged in 2020? How did you um, foster resilience on your team in 2020? I mean, that's going to be the go-to question. Do you want to learn the tricks that top leaders use to get the most out of themselves and their teams? Well, Naftali Hoff is here to help lead to succeed. Picks the brains of top leaders to learn about their challenges, insights, and best practices. Here's Naftali. Hello, Lead to Succeed Nation. It's Naftali Hoff, and welcome to Lead to Succeed, episode 60. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Kevin Cruz. Kevin is the founder and CEO of Leadex, a mobile platform to scale and sustain leadership development. He's also a New York Times bestselling author of nine books, including Great Leaders Have No Rules, which is a book that I treasure. I have it in my library top. It was an easy pull right off the shelf and uh, something that I've read through and gained a lot from Kevin. It is such a pleasure having somebody of your status on this call. And thank you so much for being with me today. Naftali, I don't know about status, but it's a pleasure to be here. Love talking to you and uh, geeking out about leadership, as I like to say. That's right. And as I just shared with you before we started recording, my book over here stole some of the quotes from, um, from a post of yours, which if people haven't seen it, it's just check out Kevin's stuff in general. But there's one post, I'd like to say it dates back to like 2014 or thereabouts, that's got 100 or so quotes on leadership. And it's just a dose of inspiration. So um, check out everything that Kevin is doing, but we're going to focus in very, very tightly, if I can, on the context of leadership in the pandemic. You know, it's no secret we're having a conversation during very strange times. That's right. And we've had to rethink so many things specific to life and leadership. And, you know, I'm really curious, Kevin, from your perspective, since you're such an expert on leadership in general, you know, what has what has Corona, what has COVID done from the perspective of the leader in terms of interacting with teams, uh, in terms of understanding self and perhaps priorities? I, I, don't want to, I don't want to take it down any one direction. I'd rather leave the question a little bit more open. But from your vantage point, what would you say is the biggest impact that Corona's had on us as leaders, both, both uh, institutional as well as personal? Yeah, well, I mean, I think... Uh... It, it, I mean, it's a great place to start because we certainly, uh, 2020, it's quite, quite a year. And I think that, you know, the circumstances, extreme circumstances, uh, have the opportunity to bring out the best of our leadership traits as well as the worst of our leadership traits. Um, you know, when you, I, you know, do a lot of work in personality and uh, Dr. Robert Hogan uh, has done a lot of uh, research and it's sort of like your normal personality, the one we're modulating uh, is our is our best self and hopefully that's most days but our our peak personality traits also will have a dark side if we're not monitoring them yeah uh, you know uh, I, I'm a massive introvert and so it takes a lot of conscious energy to come out and be animated and talk to people whether it's one-on-one -on -one or a group etc 
But on bad days, you know, my introversion, which the strength is I'm a great listener, as an example, I'm a great thinker, I'm a great planner. Um, but on my worst days, on my most stressful days, uh, when I'm feeling the impact of the environment and the situation, well, then my reaction as an introvert is to clam up, it's to shut down, sure. it's to withdraw from people. And so I think that what's happened here um, with the massive experiment, this massive disruption and transformation of work from home, digital transformation, remote leadership, um, it's brought out the best and the worst in most of us. And hopefully, you know, I always say, you know, leadership is influence, boil it down to one word, I believe it's about influence. Um, how you engage your team members psychologically doesn't change and we're still humans, it's still the human mind. But it's harder to do, you know, through Zoom, through less frequent touch points. So I just think we have to be more mindful. I mean, I think the best leaders are thinking, hey, more than ever before, I need to remember that I am a leader of people, not just a manager of tasks. And I need to be thinking every day, not just what's on my to-do list, but how are my people feeling? How engaged are my people? And um, Naftali, I think that, I mean, for the next 10 years, everybody's go-to interview question, whether you're going for a new job or a promotion, it's going to be, how did you lead in 2020? How did you keep your team engaged in 2020? How did you um, foster resilience on your team in 2020? I mean, that's going to be the go-to question. So this is our opportunity to say, hey, amidst the, it's easy to coast in good times. These are not good times. So let us be our best. It's going to be the best you know, captains of the ships that can navigate the choppy waters can can know how to survive uh, the the storms. We're in a storm, and so now we need to bring out the best in ourselves yeah. and our team members. That's that that's a powerful answer. You know, it's kind of interesting because uh, I sometimes mention, you know, I come into my podcast with just a short list of questions. This way, I feel like I've got something to work off of. But I would say nine times out of ten, the answer to the first question is deep enough that we could spend the whole time there. And, but does, it doesn't mean you're going to get off the hook. Like, but I want we were done. Yeah, you thought so. Yeah. But first of all, I love the, the ending piece. How did you lead in 2020? It's so interesting because I just did a back to work boot camp with a career coach. And she and I, you know, debriefed a little bit. I, I think that I got to bring this question back to her as well, because we need to be thinking about assuming we offer this again. What can we be doing to help people understand the most important questions to consider sure. that are relevant for that process, but also really to think about in the moment? Because we're not all in, in, the, in the business of interviewing, but we are in the business of being self-reflective practitioners, hopefully. At least hopefully. we should be. We That's should right. be. And so it's interesting to me because I also am an introvert. I also relate to a lot of the qualities you talked about. And what I'm, what I'm hearing from you and just reinforcing in my own mind is that as a leader, you know, it's one thing for people to say, well, I'm going to kind of show up to the office. I'll, I'll lead in the moment. You know, it may not be intentional. I'll get there. I'll do my thing. I'll see people. I'll react. I'll, maybe I'll proactively do a little bit here or there. It never really works well, but maybe you can get away with it when you have the touch points and you have the opportunity to connect anyway. And it's sort of like uh, organic in your environment. But when you have a situation where everything has to be manufactured, you have to get on a Zoom call, you have to create opportunity to engage, you have to touch in in ways that you might not do so otherwise. Now, all of a sudden, the person for whom that process is not either intuitive or comfortable or part of their personality profile, they've got to work harder. 
you know, it doesn't get them off the hook. It doesn't exonerate them. They've got to do it, but they just have to be more intentional about it, I think, than ever before. And so I'm almost like imagining like on your desk, you know, having those key things that you're going to keep front and center every time. Did I reach out to my people? Did I demonstrate empathy? Did I find ways to, like you talked about, um, engagements and feelings and things like that? We need to be more in tune with that because we have a bigger bridge or bigger span to gap uh, to, to bridge than ever before. So I just, I just loved everything in the message there. And, um, and so I think it's a beautiful segue really into what I want to talk about specific to your book. And by the way, if people didn't get a copy of it yet, do grab one because great leaders have no rules. It's an easy read. Um, It's not dense, but at the same time, it really is punchy and actionable. And I thought that there was a lot of great takeaways there. And, and you talk about something that's near and dear to my heart, which is productivity, mm. right? We need to be productive. I think in, in, in the corona context, productivity is a massive issue. You know, I was talking to somebody who works over in a large uh, financial institution in, in here in the city. Um, I'm, I'm in Jersey, but in Manhattan. And, um, and he talked, he's on the IT side of things, but he talked about it's everybody knows that productivity is way down. It's whether we got kids at home, whether we just aren't so comfortable working from home, we've got a lot of distraction. You know, I'm in, a, in an office space that is not conducive to real purposeful, intentional work, but it's the best I have under mind situation. And normally everybody's out of the house, so it's not a big deal. But now I've got everybody kind of like, you know, I got to tell, oh, I got a podcast coming up, like be quiet, <laughs> that kind of thing. It's just, you know, nobody has to know this, but I know this and I'm dealing with it. Right. So the point is that productivity is such a challenge and because you, you focus a lot in the book about those issues, whether it's about, you know, um, closing your office door and powering down and calendar, all these kinds of things, which I want to unpack soon, it really resonated with me. But before we get into that, let's talk about your title, because your title is Great Leadership Have, Great Leaders, excuse me, Have No Rules. And, you know, some, someone like me who likes to follow certain things, who likes to know what I'm doing. So I say to myself, what do you mean you have no rules? So unpack that for us a little bit, please, Kevin. And uh, Yeah, that's right. And, you know, this is a, a great book with a horrible title. Um, you know, I, I, I pitched the, uh, the publisher uh, and, and presented research on 10 great titles and ranked their, uh, uh, their click-through rates on some, some online ads. And the worst performing title is the one they insisted on. <laughs> and the reason why I, have a, I don't even like the title, Great Leaders Have No Rules, is without unpacking it, people think the message or in the book is going to be about, oh, you should be a rule breaker. You should be a rebel. You should be, and that's not like an um, unscripted kind of thing. That's not the message. So where it comes from, uh, rules can be dangerous. And uh, just a quick story. When, when I sold, uh, a company that I had to this company that became Conexa and the CEO, you know, I was, I was going to, um, uh, I was acquired and I was obligated to be there for at least a year. I stayed many, many years beyond that. He said, Hey, don't think of me as the CEO. Don't think of me as your boss. We're partners here. We've got equal votes. We're going to build the future, the next chapter of our combined companies together. Welcome aboard. Wow. That made me feel great. I was very engaged. And about 30 days in, Aftali, I had to submit my first expense report and uh, it sent it in and it came back and it was short by like $4 and change or something. Not a big deal, but I thought like, well, maybe I did it wrong or I made an error. 
Um, so I sent an email to the CFO. I said, hey, Don, it's short, like $4. You know, did I do something wrong? I just want to make sure I'm following, following along here. And he emailed me back and he said, um, no, uh, we don't reimburse for post-it notes. So we deducted the post-it notes from your office supplies. So I emailed him back. Why? <laughs> he emails me back. Wasteful expense. And what I had stumbled on was the first of many rules that at the time connects ahead. The rule was you're not allowed to buy post-it notes. Now, if you can imagine, the CEO just told me I'm of equal weight to the CEO. I'm an yeah. equal partner. We're going to do this together. And I don't have the authority to buy post-it notes as part of my supplies. So the danger of rules, every time you bump into a rule, uh, that person, you've taken away the opportunity for them to make a choice. You've taken away the opportunity for them to make a choice. And every time you take away the opportunity for them to make a choice, a decision, it becomes more your company, not their company, right? So sure. they, their engagement, their sense of ownership goes down. And the more rules I give you, hey, you've got to hit this sales quota, but you're not allowed to spend more than this much money to do it, or you're not allowed to travel, or you're not allowed to call upon these clients. The more barriers, rules I put in the way, the less I'm going to feel ownership for that goal. I'm going to be like, well, look, I'll show up and put my time in and get my paycheck, but I don't have any control over the outcome. There's too many rules in place. Yeah. The second half of that story, though, is I went to Rudy, the CEO. And he's a friend and partner today. Um, and, and I said, he didn't know this was a disengaging thing. I said, uh, I had a friend who, same thing. He went, he went and he was traveling. He was having a, a work dinner. Tried to submit the beer, the, the $4 or $3 beer, whatever he had. And he said, we don't reimburse for alcohol. And of course, he could have bought a $5 milkshake and they would have reimbursed it, but they weren't going to pay for the $3 Corona or whatever he's drinking. So Rudy says, oh, let's get rid of those rules. I didn't know they were bumming people out, but here's why the rules are in place. He said, one of our values is growth and profit. And that sounds like a funny corporate value to have, but he had a whole speech around it. He says, look, profit isn't the purpose of the company, just like breathing isn't the purpose of life but we need profits. You need to breathe to live, to you know, exist. So it was a symbol of frugality. He said he would walk through the office. People had post-it notes. They were doodling on them, writing phone messages. And he said, I'll never forget. He said, here's what I do when I want to doodle or take a phone message. And he reached off to his desk and he had ripped up like printer paper that had been printed on. Wow. So instead of throwing it away or recycling, the CEO was tearing and making his own little post-it note things. They weren't sticky. And he said, this is how, this is what I do with my doodles. So he said it was a symbol of frugality. Now, you know what? He abolished the rule. I could have bought post-it notes. I stayed in the company for four more years. I never reimbursed post-it notes because I, I want to be a good leader. I want to be a part of that culture. I want to be a symbol of frugality. But what happened was I bumped into that rule no explanation, just Kevin, you do not, we do not do that here. You are not allowed to do that here. And it was like, uh, so you have the control, not me. You decide the fate, not me. If instead on new hire orientation, the team leader, the CEO, whomever said, hey, let's, let's have a conversation about expenses. <laughs> let's have a conversation about our, our frugality value, which we call growth and profit. Um, here's what it looks like to me. Uh, when I walk through the hallways here and I see people doodling on, uh, on post-it notes, 
that seems like that goes against our value because that's wasteful spending. When I see people uh, doing this, that's a good sign of living that value. What would be signs to you? Like when you explain standards, so not rules, but standards of practice, anchored in values, anchored in corporate objectives, the whole world changes. You know, if you give me a, um, uh, a dress code rule, hey, you know, uh, uh, dresses have to be a certain length and can't unbutton your top button or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Well, now all of a sudden, you, you've got managers policing rules rather than leading people. It's easier to enforce rules, actually. It's easier to default to that. But what if you just have instead, hey, listen, you know, we value um, our relationships with clients. So when clients are in the office, we expect people to dress uh, similar to how the clients dress in their own offices. Okay, now we're not measuring hemlines or, or uh, whatever it is. It's going to be all about letting people take ownership of their actions. And people will make mistakes. You know, it doesn't mean you're never going to have to correct someone. Um, Netflix is famous for like freedom with accountability. No rules, standards, no rules. And then they say about 3% of their people will wash out because they, they don't get it. Like without rules, they make bad decisions. But you're empowering the other 97% instead of penalizing all the people that would be making the right decisions to begin with. Yeah. And what you got there is a number of things. First of all, I love the values piece. I have a chapter in my book about leading from the values up, like really understanding who we are, what we represent and what drives us because that creates a certain objective measure that everybody could measure up against. And when somebody falls short, it's not because you're bad or you're inadequate. Right. It's that you're not living up to the standard that we've established. So calling it values-based or standards that, that relate to the values, I think is very powerful. And it is going to naturally build engagement from the, the rank and file and everybody else because people feel like they have a voice People feel like they're being treated as adults and they're not just being micromanaged all the time. We know, I mean, I'm sure you've seen quite a bit of this on the, the piece of engagement and how it's such a challenge. And I think today's day and age is even more of a challenge. So we may not be dealing with dress code issues in, the, in our current environment as much, but, <laughs> I, but I do think your point is well taken. So, you know, so, so in a sense, it's not about leadership not having rules, but it's about leadership creating what I'm hearing from you is leadership creating space where people can can and will predictably behave properly and certainly feel valued enough and engaged enough to do their very best work. Absolutely. It's about it's about co-creating those behaviors. Uh, we were talking before the show about uh, you know our our kids and you know my teens and you know oddly they're great kids and we've never had rules but we will have a mutual conversation about what time they come home at night. Um, it's not a rule that I create. It's something we co-create together. Got it. Yeah. And, th and then of course, it's more a matter of what you did or what we discussed rather than what I discussed. That's right. I remember, for example, my background is actually in school leadership. So there was a period of time where I would visit classrooms and I'd do a little write up afterwards and would go into our system and it would generate an email and the teachers would get a PDF with, you know, a description of what I saw compliments as well as some concern areas. And I noticed that I was getting like no feedback. Mm. It was like going into the ether, people weren't responding to it. And I couldn't figure out where's the, why is the ball dropping? What I did was I just made one important change. I invited the teacher for conversation in advance of writing the report. So we talked first and then the report was generated. 
the major difference I found is that the language changed from I saw, you did, I, you know, black, that kind of thing to as we discussed. That's great. So it became like a more of an inclusive conversation. And then when the report went out, there was a real reciprocity there in terms of feedback and, and, and whatnot towards some kind of growth outcome. Love it. Yeah. So that I think is a, is, is a critical piece um, for, for leaders to be thinking about. And I thank you for, for raising that because, again, we want as leaders to do our very best work. I don't think anyone's desirous of micromanaging, but oftentimes we feel that if we don't put a lot of rules in place, people are just going to misbehave. Right. And we have to think about it differently uh, if we're going to motivate people to do their very best work, especially in this environment. That's so, right. so let's get back to productivity because um, I'm knee deep. I'm, I'm in the process of writing a book on the topic. So I, I love to glean wisdom from wherever I can. And I know that you have a lot to share. You have at least three chapters in your book yeah. that, that hit on the topic. Uh, number one, what, what drove you to focus so intently on a leader's productivity? Number one. And number two, um, what would you say are some of the most important things? Let, let's even keep the conversation current, you know, thinking about remote leadership in yeah. particular, self and other leadership, what are some, some tips you could share that'll yeah. help us do our very best work? Well, so to me, you know, I've been obsessed with uh, time really um, for, for a while now. And, and when I was a young and dumb entrepreneur in my twenties, I really didn't understand to a deep level and philosophical level, the difference between action and results and time and energy. And so, you know, after I had um, sold one of my businesses, I actually spent a couple of years and I spoke to hundreds of self-made billionaires, millionaires, Olympic athletes, entrepreneurs um, to get their time secrets. And I wrote this book called 15 Secrets Successful People Know About Time Management. And I thought that was going to be a one and done project because I'm mainly focused on leadership. But of course, as I've grown, um, the feedback I get, whether it's out in talks or workshops or just, you know, friends, it's like, if people talk about, well, why am I not a better leader? Why am I not spending more time with people? I don't have the time. Now, this is a false belief, sure. uh, but it's, a, it's real to them. And it comes back to time. And we are all asked to do more. I mean, let's face it, you know, as a manager, as a leader, your full-time job is not just to make people feel good or feel engaged. You're also responsible for the results. You know, so it's people and profits, relationships and results. And so in great leaders, um, I wanted to make sure I addressed some, again, the whole premise, every chapter is taking something that we kind of take for granted as conventional wisdom, things that we've all been taught by our mentors maybe or training programs in the past and flip them around and say, hey, well, maybe there's a better way in this modern age. Um, and so just to your point, uh, the principles are the same even in this COVID era. Um, I have a chapter in there you know, called Close Your Open Door Policy. Now, of course, even before we were all working from home, many people didn't work in an office with a physical door. You know, many of us are in open office environments. Many of us did work from home. But the concept is think of that door as a metaphor where we've been taught traditionally, and it all comes from a good place, like an open door policy. Like you want people to, you know, come in and bring you problems, bring you ideas. Uh, that move, that's the speed of communication. It's cutting red tape. It's it's uh, shrinking the, the gap between the, the CEO and the front line, all these good things, good intent. But the reality is, of course, we've now come to where 
it's not just coming through our office door, but it's coming through our phone, whether you're using WhatsApp or Slack or Teams now, you know, Zoom instant message. Um, it's that always being able to be interrupted and uh, answering people's questions. And so again, in the COVID era, and this just, this happens all the time, uh, old partner, very successful entrepreneur in India just yesterday, we had a great call on Zoom and he ended by saying, hey, do you do message? Like, how do I message you on your phone? And I told him how, but I said, you know what? I turn all those things off and I only do meetings and calls that are scheduled in advance because again, I'm, I'm, back, I'm, I'm optimizing for productivity. And so it's the idea with closure open door policy, it's not that you refuse communication. Um, the, the idea is like, okay, close your door, but open your calendar. So there's a few different ways you can do it. And again, to each their own, each company, each industry. Um, you know, for some people, it might be, hey guys, um, in the mornings when we are cognitively at our best, let's all try to do our deep work first. So before lunch, let's try to do our solo work, our deep work, our strategic work. And then in the afternoons, let's have open door policies and we can talk and barge in on each other. For other people, it's um, no meet, you know, no unscheduled meetings at all unless it's office hours. And that might be from four to five every afternoon or just Fridays. Um, it's like, hey, uh, you can barge in anytime on Friday or anytime after four, but otherwise, let's put it on the calendar at a mutually convenient time. And because the, as, as you know, everybody has faced, it's almost impossible to get real work done. You know, you're just getting into it, whether it's a spreadsheet or writing a document or whatever that is. And then knock, knock, knock. Hey, you got a minute? Ding. And it's never a minute or ping. And then even if it is a minute, it's not. But even if it is, then it's like, okay, where was I? What was I working on? You get focused and then ping, you know, again. It's like trying to get traction or some speed on the highway. Exactly. And, and, you know, what what I get challenged by all the time is salespeople, consultants, my own uh, attorney and uh, my own financial planners have brought this to my attention. Like, we pride ourselves on being responsive. Like we can't just not respond to text messages, emails, phone calls. When, when people want us, they want us. And look, I've been a high service provider myself all the time. And what I say is people are not working with you because of how quickly you pick up the phone. Oh, I'm going to work with, uh, I'm going to take my business from Naftali to Kevin because Naftali answers on three rings and Kevin answers on one. That's not why they're working with you. That's right. Second, just set the standards up front and just explain to people, hey, listen, I pride myself on responsiveness and great results. And that means sometimes I put my phone on airplane mode, I shut my door, I mute my phones, tell people not to bother me for a solid hour, two hours, maybe even three, so I can get deep work, perhaps on your project. So if you ever need to interrupt me and it can't wait an hour or three hours, then here's how you're going to escalate it. And it's let my assistant know or call me on the phone rather than a text or an email. Like you figure out your ground rules, but I've never had anybody push back. And usually they say, that's a great idea, Kevin. I'm going to spend the first hour of of my day doing deep work. I'm going to put my phone on airplane mode. I'm going to turn off the email window and all that. And then I'll come back to it later. Um, So that's just one example. Sure. There's, and there's a lot there. The one thing that really resonates with me and I learned from trial and error, let's call it. I actually, since we talked about introversion earlier, I'm almost certain I never actually 
demanded a personality report from my predecessor. Um, but I followed in the footsteps of a dynamic elderly principal who had kind of built the school from the ground up, had been there for, for umpteen years. Tough. And, and stylistically, we were so different. And one of those differences was he really did have an open door policy, as far as I could tell. Door was never closed, except for maybe with uh, confidential meetings or things of the sort. I need space, and the door is a way by which I create space for me to go and do that deep work that you're describing. My big problem, I believe, was that I wasn't communicative enough with others up front to say, what does this mean? Right. What does it represent? Why am I doing this? And so people thought of it as being standoffish, you know, maybe, I don't know if it was arrogant or just not interested. But I, and I, so there, I real, to me, that was my biggest mistake. It's not that people wouldn't have given me space had they known the intent, but it's that absent the clarification of the reasoning behind it, people start to make their own assessment of what you're doing and why you're doing it. And they don't always, shockingly, they don't always give you the benefit of the doubt. So I think this piece is really important that you're having the conversation, you're walking people through, you're maintaining the standard you want, but you're doing it in a way that ultimately serves both of you. That's right. And I, what you added there is so important. Uh, I just want to underline it for the, for the listeners because it, it, it does mean you need to make sure, like as an introvert, as someone who's closing their door, it just means you need to explain to people why you're doing that, invite them to do the same, and have other ways to communicate, whether that's a weekly one-on-one -on -one or other ways to show that you care, that you know about them, and that they can always come to you when, when they really need it. Yeah, so it's really the big picture piece, which is, I think, a nice way to end this segment that, you know, leadership is a holistic process. Right. It's got numerous components to it. There's time management, there's relationship, there's productivity, and on and on and on. And we know all of this, which is why I think leadership is such, remains such an important topic and why we have to continue to learn and learn new skills and things like that, as well as the conversation we had earlier, which is how do I pivot my leadership appreciation approach mindset, et cetera, and practical applications to new realities, which is, of course, what coronavirus has really created for all of us. So it's an interesting time that we're having this conversation. <laughs> and I know that I tried to schedule a long time ago and, you know, you had so tough. much going on. So yeah. I guess in some ways, that's the beauty of being able to wait a little bit, because had we had this conversation when I first asked you about it, it would have gone in a different place. Not that there wouldn't have been great value. But I see that the value here is maybe amplified in a way because we're able to take all the things you're already really good at and teaching people and giving it new context and perspective that they can't necessarily get by pulling any generic, let's call it leadership text off the shelf. This is, this is application at its very best. So a really great way to end this. And I want to pivot now, if I can, to our rapid fire, a quick fun segment, short answers, sure. really right to the point. I know you're in Philly. By the way, I love Philadelphia. Um, I have not spent a lot of time there, but when I was there, it was just like, a, you know, a kid in a candy store, like every, you know, as a, as, as a, as, as a fan of America and a fan of history, it's like, that is, it is there. Very walkable city with uh, the- and Even, the, even the Rocky, I got it. I, That's right. The Rocky statue, <laughs> yeah, of course. Everything, it was great. Dog up the stairs. <laughs> and there's even a great kosher pretzel bakery. I don't know where it is. You mind a soft, soft pretzels. It was like, I should go back there just for those. <laughs> okay. But, but something that people don't know about Philadelphia that they should. Oh, wow. Uh, Place to visit. Just a nice thing about the community. Well, I, um, 
something that surprised me when I moved there, you know, full time, I mean, the city's very walkable. Um, and so the two things that people get surprised about is one, it's become quite a foodie town because many of the chefs from Manhattan would either open a second restaurant or move to a cheaper uh, location. So it's become quite a foodie town. And part of that walking, everybody knows about the history, but there's also a really big arts program. They really, with all the budget cuts and everything else, they invest in arts, whether it's beautiful murals everywhere on the outside of buildings or actual, you know, physical statues and things. It's a great walking art city. Nice. And, and, and the fans, by the way, have finally started to get some, uh, rewards for all of the the loyalty to those uh sports teams yeah that's right i'm a, I'm a big come sixers fan so uh it's been it's been a while but we're hoping they keep building. yeah sixers are at least decent but you had some championships not that's that right. long ago some of the other teams some some self-care tips just a couple that that will help us be more productive and just do our very best work. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, sleep is number one. Um, I am a whole different person, you know. Just even six hours sleep versus nine hours sleep. Um, uh, it, uh, sleep is is number one, and I always um, uh, say any daily movement at all, whether that's a walk around the block, twenty minutes on the treadmill, whatever that is, yoga poses. Some you know, motion drives emotion. So you want to get if you want to going to change like your, your physical state. Yeah, and it's so it important physical. now in particular because of the fact that we're all homebound. That's right. Okay. Complete this COVID related sentence. Every day we should all blank. Be grateful. Okay. Nice choice. A book other than your own, <laughs> not that those aren't great, a book <laughs> other than your own that I should start reading today or a message you often think about or gain inspiration from, whichever you prefer. Well, you, you, you talked about the, um, the curated quotes uh, that has racked up like 5 million views on Forbes. And I did something kind of sneaky. I put one of my own quotes in there. <laughs> and uh, that quote is, life is about uh, making an impact, not making an income. And the reality is, um, the more impact you make, the more value you provide, the better off you're going to do financially anyway but it's just making sure you're doing the, that in the focus is on the impact. It's not on the monetary gain. It's a nice quote. I like it. It's sort of, I hear some Jim Rohn in there. I hear some Zig Ziglar in there. <laughs> That's great. You know? And also I happen to have one of my many, I've got like a bunch of eBooks on my website. One of them is the three um, to be, how to become a, become a leader of impact. And it's, I have the three eyes, which is influence impact. And there's another one that uh, I didn't have enough coffee this morning. So I love it. But, uh, but those eyes are really critical. So with all of that wrapped up now, tell us a little bit more, please, what you're up to, where people can find you, how they could learn about more about your work and really gain from the wisdom that you've accumulated over the years. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, for your listeners who love leadership and podcasts, uh, the, the LeadX show, you know, can be found on all the normal podcast places. And um, if they start with the early episodes, they'll get the dailies where <laughs> every day was another expert that we would be talking to. We, we're now uh, back to weekly or a couple times a month, and we still bring a lot of, um, you know, authors and consultants on. So that's a great place to start. If anybody wants to- I didn't to, mean to cut you off, by the way, but I did spend a few minutes in, an, in, a, in a studio- recording for LeadX, if I recall correctly. Oh, absolutely. That was, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, um, mm. and, and they can see you by downloading the LeadX app. Just go to your, uh, your Android store, your iPhone uh, app store. You can download it, try it out for free. And there's all kinds of courses and book summaries and things like that. 
Really nice. And a website? Leadx.org.org. .org. Fantastic. Okay, Kevin, you've given us a lot, but as I say all the time, I need you to give me one final parting life lesson, something that's going to end this show on an absolute high and kind of put a beautiful bow around the gift you've already provided for us. Well, I'll underscore something we talked about. You know, I always say if, uh, if leadership is truly influence, then you're, you're a leader, whether you want to be or not, you know, it used to be like leaders were the command and control model. We know that's not right. And then it was like, you know, you, you, you don't need permission. You can choose to be a leader. Well, I take it further. I'm saying it's not a, leadership is not a choice. You are a leader, whether you want to be or not, because if leadership's influence, you lead when you speak up, but you're also influencing people when you remain silent. You lead when you take an action, but you're also influencing people when you're a bystander. And so whether this is in your family, your, your place of worship, or on your team, what you say and do counts. It's just, are you influencing in a positive direction or a negative direction? So as you yourself just said a few minutes ago, lead with intent, lead with intent. Beautiful. And because of the fact that now with, uh, with everything going on in terms of uh, racial justice and equality and things like that, there's so many applications, right? Per personal, professional, communal, to think about influence, to think about choices we make, to think about the voice that we have and how we use it. So thank you, Kevin, for, for that. Thank you for all of this. It was a worth, it was a, it was a wait that was worth <laughs> the wait, so to speak. And uh, hopefully we won't have to wait that long the next time to talk again, because I've enjoyed every minute. Well, I appreciate your patience. It has been delightful. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and for investing in yourself so that you can lead to succeed. Before you go, don't forget to pick up your copy of Becoming the New Boss on Amazon or at becomingthenewboss.com. If you've already got your copy, be sure to rate the book and leave a comment.